We're going to do something right here on the front end. Um, it, it's so good. The, ti- the, the, the timing is so good, so right that we do it here. Right on the front end, coming out of those songs, the goodness of our God, God's goodness chasing us, his blessing, the hallelujahs of the Lord. Um, you remember, it's been three weeks. Rob had you take out your phone and, and you checked in on Slido and we, we put in our losses. We said, you know, what are the losses of life, the, the hard things of life, pains of life really that, that we, we've been in or experienced and we had our losses, okay? I wanna ask you to take your phones out again, if you would please. And those of you on, please do this as well. Um, and so you're gonna go online, you're gonna see on the screen, and I'm, I'm gonna do this. You're gonna see the Slido um, QR code, shoot that, you're gonna go to Slido. Now this time, listen, we, we, we stated our losses, and so this time I wanna invite all of us, and, and again, online, please do this. I want you to state your hallelujahs. Okay, if, if these are our losses, I'm saying, I, I want you to state now your gains, the those things that for you are hallelujah, that which God has blessed, given, whatever it may be. Are, are you guys with me? So I'm gonna do that right now, and I want you guys to do that. It's a word or a phrase, right, that you will put in there that is your hallelujah. Everybody do that if you would right now. I'm, gonna, I, I'm doing it, so I'm gonna give you time to do that. If you haven't done it, just keep going as I'm talking. Go ahead and please get that in. Um, now, there's a reason I, I, I want us to do that. Um, it's gonna be very important, uh, not just in our understanding of our text today, because this relates to our text today, um, but in helping us better grasp the doctrine that runs all through Ruth, the doctrine of God's providence. Um, we've defined it along with the Westminster Shorter Catechism, God's most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing of all his creatures and all their actions. It's a deep dive today. I, I will say this, um, we're, 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 we're going in and you know, apart from the Holy Spirit teaching us, um, we, won't, we won't see what we need to see, we won't hear what we need to hear. It, it won't be my words, but it'll be the spirit at work through God's word. And that's my prayer today. If you're not there already, then go ahead and take your Bibles or your booklet and go to Ruth chapter one. We are in verses 19 to 22. We're wrapping up chapter one. By way of context, I'm gonna show you a slide and I'm just gonna walk you through. It's so important because this is the last, these are the last four verses of this first part of the story. So we've gotta be embedded in the story itself. And I just have this little chart that shows you a bit of the story arc. If the dotted midline, you know, this whole story is happening below the midline of life, so to speak. And it begins in chapter one, verse one, with a famine in the land where there shouldn't be famine. Two through five is a decade of loss. A man named Elimelech takes his uh, wife, Naomi, and his two sons, Malon and Kilion, and they go to Moab. Moab's a, a country under God's judgment. Uh, they go there to survive. Uh, while there, Elimelech dies, and then the two sons die. So we're left at the end of verse five with Naomi, and then the two sons had, had married uh, Orpah and Ruth, and so we're left with Naomi, Ruth, and Orpah, three widows. Um, it is like a movie 
You can imagine the first five minutes of the movie, the hero of the movie, the protagonist, if you will, uh, finds themselves in a insurmountable challenge. How are they gonna get out of this? That's what happens through the first five verses and as verse five ends. In verses 14, we covered two weeks ago, Naomi hears there's food back in Bethlehem. She makes the journey back. On the journey itself, on the road back, she says to her two young daughters-in-laws, first she begins with a very reasonable, logical argument and says, look, there's no hope for you in Bethlehem. The best chance of you getting remarried, remember patriarchal culture, your security for a future would be in, in, in a husband, in a family, in the clan, the tribe. You know, the best chance is for you to do that in Moab, your Moabite girls. Don't go back with me to Bethlehem in Israel. Um, and and uh, then she, she, she really, you know, comes hard at them, not with her logic, but with her theology. And she says, um, Lord's hands against me. So you don't want to stick with me or you're going to, feel the effects of his hand against me. Orpah goes home, but then Ruth doubles down with Naomi and makes a pledge to her that is breathtaking in scope. And if you missed Rob's last week, I, I hope you'll go back and catch that because we intentionally took the time to unpack Naomi's commitment to, uh, to Ruth's commitment to Naomi. So that brings us now to verse 19. We're in these last verses of chapter one. This is God's word to us today. Follow along in your booklets or Bibles, the word of God. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. I don't think any of us would pick up a stone at Naomi, really, would we, for her, her bitter outburst? I don't think we would hammer her for that, burying a husband and two sons in the span of 10 years, uh, no grandchildren. These girls were, seemed infertile because they couldn't have kids in that time. Uh, those things will make you bitter. I asked you through, it's been three, at least three weeks ago, I guess, I asked you when Naomi said, this is chapter one, verse 14, when she said, the hand of the Lord has gone against me. I asked you, I said, would you consider Naomi a good theologian or a bitter woman? And I said, I'm not gonna answer it then. We're gonna, I'm gonna let you sit in it. Let us wrestle with that. Let me add to, let me add to this. I want you to look at, I'm gonna grab the four statements she's now made. She has doubled down, y'all. And look at what she says in, the, in verses 20, uh, 20 and 21. These statements related to uh, God. Bring that slide up if you would. There we go. You know the four bullets. You know, the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with 
the Lord has brought me back empty. The Lord has testified against me. The Almighty has brought calamity upon me. God has one name. His name is Yahweh. I am that I am. God has many titles, and one of which is Shaddai, El. We think that ties back to mountain, to strength. So when we speak of God or someone speaks of God as Shaddai, they're saying the all-powerful one. So, so you know, she's, she's very clear in who God is. He, is. he is the one who is, and he's the almighty, all-powerful one who can do whatever he wills. He's dealt very bitterly with me. The, the, the Lord has brought me back empty. He's testified against me. The powerful one has brought calamity upon me. And these statements make, make our question, I think, even more relevant. And I'll say it again. Is Naomi a good theologian or is she a bitter woman, a bitter widow? That's the question we can answer today. What's at stake is not simply our theology. I suggest what's at stake is our very hope. I mean, our, our very own rest and peace when life does not go the way we thought it was supposed to. When life goes away, we would hoped it wouldn't go. When death or disease or injustice or evil rob us. We're diving into some deep waters. And I'll tell you, as I, as I prepared this, I said this to someone after the first service, I said, I feel very unqualified to say some of the things I'm about to say, but I'm gonna say them because I really believe they're true and I believe they're faithful to the scripture. Here's the outline. Verse 19 is an honest question. Verse 20 and 21, a bitter reply. Verse 22, a hidden providence. So that's how we're gonna walk through it. It's just these four short verses. Um, I'll read it, then I'll comment on it. An honest question. We're gonna look at Naomi's bitter reply and then we're gonna look at a hidden providence. So back again to the text, let's walk through it. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? Uh, some of you, you know, I, my 10-year high school reunion was many, many moons ago. But let me say this, you remember your 10-year high school reunion? You go back and, and you see somebody and it's like, is that? is that, you know, because they've changed so much in 10 years, you know, it's like, I don't even recognize them. There's a bit of that happening here. Um, 10 years, she's been gone. Now, now she has borne tremendous loss, three caskets, three family members buried. That will change your physique, that will change your countenance. In a town the size of Bethlehem, y'all, we're talking, remember patriarch, clan, tribe? We're talking a village. It had a wall. All these, many of these cities had walls, yes, but we're talking hundreds of people, not thousands at this time. You guys are, some of you are from small towns and you get this. Everybody knows your business, you know? And, the, and this is what happens. They were stirred. There was a, there was a buzz in Bethlehem. And, and the, the ladies were talking to you, is that, is that Naomi? <laughs> Well, Naomi knows what they're, what they're saying and what they're asking. And so it's, an, it's a very honest question. 
and it gets a very bitter reply. Look at 21 and 22, or 20 and 21. She said, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me? The Almighty has brought calamity upon me. You know, a name in ancient Israel than a name, more so than kind of our names and names that we might give our children. You know, they would, they would name a child based on their character and nature that they would see in that child that represented who they are. Um, Naomi, her name means pleasant. So, so imagine Naomi's mother and father, she, this little child, she must have been beautiful and quite frankly, pleasant. She's probably delight, you know, as she's growing up, you can imagine this little girl just delighted everyone and her name fit her, she's pleasant. It, if we had a nickname that would fit like Naomi and if we did it here in the South, you know what her name would be? It, it could be, it would be Sweetie. Maybe in the deep South of Alabama, Sweetie Pie, you know, it would be just Sweetie, you're just so sweet. And that would be her character and her nature and Naomi no longer looks Sweetie, does she? Um, she says, call me Mara, and Mara means bitter. I'm, I'm no longer pleasant because God is against me. Call me bitter. Now, the writer gives us no indication that she was duped or corrected as she pours out this, these charges, so to speak, even against God. In fact, and I hope you do this, y'all, and Rob and I keep reminding you, read the whole story. And then, so let's just keep reading the story week by week. But you gotta get the whole story. And you'll know that when, when these women who, who she says, call me bitter, you know, when, when Naomi fades into the background and the women fade in the background, well, they come back to the foreground at the very end of the book. And do you know what the women call her? Do you wanna know what the women call her at the end of the book? What do they, who do, what do they call Naomi. Naomi, they don't call her bitter. It seems that these women allowed Naomi to express the hurt of her heart without judgment or advice. I'm gonna say that again. It seems that these, this circle of women, these women allowed Naomi to blurt out the, the pain within her that came out in this bitterness and, and she did it and they held a circle about her, so to speak, without judgment or advice. And I'm emphasizing that because I wish that all of us had a circle of trust, a, a boundary of relationships that, that hold the worst of us without judgment or advice. I mean, she really is, she's lamenting. Would anyone hold it against her <coughs> for her lament at the losses that she's endured? I think not. Now, Naomi says in her mind, okay, she says it. She says, I went, I, I left here full and now I have come back Empty, such an important theme in the book of Ruth. 
Fullness and empty, empty and fullness. It's, you've got to grasp this. These, the author's given us clues so that we can understand how to put this book together and, and what's, what's God saying through this book. Do you remember, I guess I keep forgetting what I taught this, but we talked about fact and truth, I guess two weeks ago. There's the facts, but what's the truth here? I want to come back to that around this fullness and empty in a moment and discern the truth about that, okay? We'll do that in a minute, but I'll grab the last part of this first. So we go from this curious, you know, an honest question, and then a bitter reply in our text today ends in verse 22, and I call it a hidden providence. Look at verse 22, it says, Naomi, so Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Now, they, they arrive, it just so happens, they arrive back in Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Now, this barley harvest is the first harvest. These, this crop that's now being harvested would have been planted in the fall. So you're talking August, September, it's planted. October, November, December, January, February, March, April. It's actually like this time of year, March, April, is when they start harvesting the barley. You know, what's interesting is the barley's harvested first, but then right on the tail end of the barley harvest is the wheat harvest. And so they arrive at the beginning of three months of harvesting. Had they arrived two months earlier, the, the, seed, or five, the seed's in the ground. And, and I'm, I'm bringing this to our attention to say, the author of the story is giving us little hints. Hey, they arrived at the beginning. They arrived at the time when they are gonna have food to eat as she gleans that wouldn't be here had they come at any other time. It's the same as uh, verse, uh, uh, chapter one, verse 14, when Orpah leaves and the, little la the last little line in that sentence says, and Ruth clung to her. And of course, we've read the story and we go, oh my gosh, she can't see it, but Ruth's her future and she's clean. Oh my gosh, they can't see it, but God in his timing brought them right at the beginning of the barley harvest. The, the writer is saying, we've said this, this is important about Ruth. There's more than meets the eye. And the author's saying to us as readers, do you see it? Do you see it? Naomi can't see it yet. Ruth can't see the fullness of it yet, but do you get reader of the story? There's a cringeworthy statement that Naomi makes. I call it cringeworthy. She says, the Lord has brought me back empty. Who's standing? Who's standing right next to her? Who? Yeah, you know, it's just kind of like... You get, it makes me just love Ruth all the more. You know, the story, there's no response from Ruth. It's okay. I may be nothing. You know, it's like she just said, this, this girl next to me is nothing. There's a lesson here worth pondering just for a moment on this. I'll say it at least two ways. First, I'll say it this way. Our bitterness at God's providence can blind us to the blessing of God's providence. Our bitterness 
at God's providence, to hard providence, can bless to the blessing of God's hard providence. She doesn't see it, you know. Let me say it this way. When God's hand is against us, we often lose sight that his hand is always for us. When God's hand is against us, we often lose sight that his hand is always for us. And I hope some of you heard me clearly enough to be sitting there going, uh, what, uh, what did he say? No, wait, he just said that God's hand can be for me and against me at the same time. Is that what he just said? Yes, that's what I just said. And that's what I think in part the story of Ruth is teaching us about our God. Let me give you some reasons why. Now I'm gonna, I'm, uh, that's the story. Now I'm just gonna, I want a few of the reasons why I would say this. First, to the question, is Naomi a good theologian or is she a bitter widow? My answer is, She's both. She's both. Her bitterness, y'all, it's an emotional response to tremendous loss and hurt and confusion that she doesn't understand. And again, thank God she has a circle of trust that she can express that in. And like all emotions, you feel them, then they pass. It's, but you feel it and she expresses it. Would burying a husband and two sons in the span of 10 years hurt deeply? Yes. Now, in terms of her theology, okay, Naomi's done nothing or said nothing to lead us to believe that she has rejected. I keep seeing something drop right here. Do y'all see that? It's like there's a water. I keep seeing a little thing fall down. Um, it, it, maybe it's my glasses. Maybe it's an angel. I don't know. Um, <laughs> But Naomi make us, she's rejected God. Boy, God's treated her, God's come against her, God's brought calamity on her, and so she doesn't believe in God anymore. Gosh, we don't even see a hint of that. She is, she is so connected to her God that she prays for Orpah and Ruth that God's hesed would be upon them because she knows their only hope is God's kindness, hesed, his unceasing kindness. She's so connected to her God that she says, you know, I, I pray God gives you rest because she knows only Yahweh can give rest. I mean, she calls him Yahweh, you know, the, 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 the great I am and Shaddai, the all-powerful one. No, her, her, her faith is, according to the text, is really intact. And so we have no reason to say that she's thrown it out when she begins to speak of his hand is against me. He's dealing in ways that are bitter, bringing her back empty and bringing her calamity. And, and, and let us note this, again, if you've read the story, you know this. She expresses this deep bitterness and hurt. And do you know what God does through the rest of the story? He blesses her beyond imagination, beyond anything she could comprehend. I really think she is a brilliant theologian and a very broken and hurting woman at the same time. 
Secondly, I mentioned emptiness and fullness, key, key theme. Naomi says she left Bethlehem full and was returned empty. Now, now let's define her full. I left, I left Bethlehem full. I had a husband and two boys. In a patriarchal society, I got three patriarchs from my, you know, couldn't get any better. So she's full. She's come back and they're dead, they're gone. So her definition of full, I would suggest was, and not in a bad way, I wanna be careful here, but I'm full because I've had a husband and, and, and these boys. Let me give you a different scenario. Let's say that you are, um, you're up in your bedroom, you're, you're getting ready to go out for dinner or something and, and you turn and you notice that your toddler's got these two yellow pills in her hand that fell off your dresser. It's Percocet because you had dental surgery and you had two pills there, do you need it? And she's just about like that with this Percocet. It's, it's, it's bright yellow, I bet it tastes good, <laughs> you know, whatever she's thinking. Her hands are full, and I tell you, I, I think as any parent, you would immediately empty her hands. Uh, you, you might hurt her a little, you might bruise her a bit because you move so quickly, right, to save her life. She has no idea this will kill me, could kill me. But you do. So I'm suggesting that Naomi's definition of full, please hear me on this, and I say this with just, uh, I, it's hard for me to say, but a husband and two sons is a good thing, but there's but one thing that our hearts were made to be full by, and that's God himself. He is the one thing that will truly, finally, and fully fill us forever. And that's what God wants for all of us, to know that. Could it be that Naomi left empty and now God has brought her back that she might be full of what matters most? Okay, put away your notes. You don't need that as I finish up our, 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 our jaunt through this final text. Just put away, I want you just to listen. I want you to listen. I want to tell you two stories based on what we've just, you know, out of the, what we've just covered. Um, Timmy, uh, Vincent, uh, used to be on our staff, we're gonna be in G crew and team. Brittany, Vincent, still on our staff team, children's ministry, and uh, they struggled for years with infertility. And um, just a few months ago, uh, she gave birth to a little boy named Eleazar. That's one of those names that you know, you're gonna wonder, what was your mom and dad thinking? And they, they were thinking about the Bible, is what they're thinking of you know, with Eleazar and the character of that man. Well, they, they, they had Eleazar and Timmy was working right next to my office because we gotta do some renovation, reconstruction and renovation. And I was just catching up with him, man. How, how are you doing? How are y'all doing with, with your baby? And of course, the young dad is so fun. You know, oh my gosh, it's awesome, et cetera. He said, but, you know, Eliezer was born with this condition that I, I wasn't unfamiliar with, you know, but many of you would be familiar with, where the, um, um, it's called a tongue flap, I think, or something, but it's the, there's a flap in the jaws and the tongue, a thing that holds your tongue underneath there, it's, it's, it's grown too much and his, his little tongue can't latch on 
he can't feed appropriately. And so, you know, there's this, there's this surgery they do where they clip, clip it in the jaws and then they clip that one right underneath his little tongue. And, and he said, yes, we had the surgery done, you know, and then they said, well, here's what you gotta do because this thing's gonna grow back. It grows back so fast. So, so every, every four hours, like for, a lot, for days, you know, every four hours, Timmy's gotta take a piece of gauze go in there with that gauze, big old hand and that little infant and, and push hard enough right under that little boy's tongue to break the healing. Like it's healing, but you gotta keep breaking it and breaking it and breaking it. And they, I said, oh my gosh, you're giving me shivers. And he goes, I said, how hard do you have to push? And he grabbed my arm, he says, Lord, I gotta do it this hard. And I went, oh my gosh, on his little tongue. He says, yes, it's gotta hurt. They said, you gotta do it till it hurts him, till it bleeds. And I went, oh my gosh, I'm just like, ugh. And so, so then a couple of days later, here, here we are and, and uh, Timmy and Brittany's got little Eliezer. I hadn't seen him. So he's at the office. And Timmy says, uh, hey, I got to do that thing to him. You want to watch? I'm like, oh gosh. Okay, no, I don't want to watch. But we go in the conference room and they lay that little boy down. And, uh, and I said, okay, I'll watch. And so he, he gets the gauze and sure enough, man, he goes right in on Eliezer's thing and pushes so hard. And you're like, yeah, he's just screaming, screaming and bust that little flap of skin and blood, you know, it's bleeding and whatnot. I mean, I, I am not lying when I say to you, I had a cold sweat. Like I stood there for five minutes and said, I gotta get out, man. It's like, I'm about to pass out, you know, I'm about to faint. Timmy Vincent is and will always be for his son. And being for him, there are times he will be against him. It will hurt him. And that little boy won't understand how his father could love him and hurt him. I want you to look at these words from R.C. Sproul. I've been reading so much on providence. Oh my goodness. I mean, you can't get your, it's just too deep. I don't expect us to walk out of here going, we got it figured out. I hope we walk out of here going, what a mystery. What a mystery of God's providence. But this is what the Bible seems to show us. Here's Sproul. It's in this book called The Invisible Hand. I would recommend it. It's been in the 70s or 80s. I've had this book forever. But it, it's The Invisible Hand, Do All Things Really Work Together for Good. It's his understanding of providence. R.C. Sproul, if you've ever read him, know him. This guy is so brilliant. But this is very gettable, uh, even for me. But he says this. We have seen that it is a dangerous thing to make the revelation that God is always on our side. Now, he had already unpacked like the time when to judge the nation, God raised up the Assyrians. Like, wait, you're on the Assyrian side? Well, yeah, because I'm gonna judge you because of, you know what I'm saying? So it's, it's a dangerous assumption. It is true that because we are the people of God, God is always deus pro nobis. There's his intellect coming out. He's always talking Latin, you know, <laughs> throwing it in. Always for us is what that means. But this being for us must always be seen in an ultimate sense. Now, let me, sit, let me stop here for a moment. He, he talks so beautifully about this, that we live life and we understand life, the proximate sense of life, and there's an ultimate sense. So the, it's what's in front of you, our life. But we must think of, we must think of God in the ultimate sense. In the finality of where God is taking us, his ultimate purpose is his glory and ours. So in the proximate or more immediate sense, there are times when God is against us. Thus the paradox is seen that even when God is against us, he's for us. 
As a father chastens a child he loves, so God at times will thwart our plans and work against us. Precisely because he is working for our own ultimate good. God is always for you. He is sometimes against you for our good in his glory. Now I wanna step out of Naomi and Ruth's story for a minute, okay? Let's consider this. Several weeks back, we listed our losses and you're gonna see these come up on the screen. Y'all, this reminds us when we read these stories and Naomi lost a husband and two boys, that was deep and it, it was real. And we, you're not reading about other people right now. You're reading about what you and I said is happening in your life and my life right now. The losses and the hurt and the pain of life in a fallen world and fallen bodies. I mean, it's not even comprehensive. It, 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 it's, it's a sampling. And then, you know, this, just a few moments ago, I asked you, let's list our hallelujahs. God, let's list the goodness of God in our life. And so we listed those. It's called a wordle. So you see, how, whatever you said the most, whatever you said the most is, gets the bigger word. Last service, I think there were 300, almost 300 people responded, probably more in this one. So those are the words you put in. Now let me, I, I just noticed this because this, this was true in the last service as well. Can you imagine how much it hurt Naomi? Because our greatest hallelujah, what is it? Y'all, it's no different for her thousands of years ago. How deep that pain. Here's the, crest, here's the question I wanna ask you. And I know in the back, you can see both at the same time, but you kinda gotta sit. I'm standing between the two. Here's, here's the question. Which of these does God author and orchestrate? How control, how in control is God of his universe? Moving all things toward his purpose, plans. See, both of these, we look at both of these, we go, those are real. That's happening in my life. To, to those of us who are following Jesus right now. Which one does God do? Second story. I had coffee with a, a guy, a new friend, uh, Jared Souza. He's, he's, he's new to town. He and Rebecca moved here from the DC area in the last couple of years and they've been visiting fellowship and, and they're getting ready to plug in the fellowship and he just wanted to have coffee with one of the pastors. You know, I, I know Jared, you know, he came, we, he came up to the after service and said, hey, can we get together? And we did. And it's just such a fun story. So he told me his story. I told him my story, but his, our stories are so similar. He, he came to faith. He didn't grow up in a Christian home in California. He came to faith as a, as a teenager. Um, and, and then he went to college. And when he went to college, he had a foot in both, 
both places. You know, you're Christian, but oh, I don't go with my friends. I want to do this. Oh, I need to. Well, he meets Rebecca, his wife in college, and she's got both feet firmly planted in the gospel. <laughs> so she's always pulling on him, you know, encouraging him. And uh, he said, he said, yeah, one t- he said, things, I said, well, what shifted wherever he's, well, he goes, me and my buddies uh, decided we're going to go out to the lake for an afternoon. So they, this lake that apparently they go to many times. And there's a rope swing on the lake. And he, so he says, you know, we're, we're, we're drinking. We're just having fun. Just since guys out at the lake. And he said, the last thing I remember is I was on the rope swing. And he goes, I, you know, who knows how this happened? The rope got wrapped around my head. And he goes, he goes, that's the last thing I remember. Well, what happened was the rope wrapped around his head. We let go, it popped his head. It ripped off half his face right here, just ripped it off, broke his jaw, knocked him unconscious. So he hits the water unconscious. And a friend, of course, the friends are looking at whatever, a friend sees it, dives in for him. And the friend swam to where mud was and then went down. And it's a lake. He said, you know, it's murky water. You can't see. His friend dove down, down, down. He grabbed, he got Jared, brought him out. And he said, this is, this is the part that, that got me. He said, my friend, he said to me later, if you'd been 12 inches deeper, I would not have gotten you. I got, if you'd been 12 inches, he was at the limit of his lungs. And so I hear that story and I go, if he'd been 12 inches deeper, no Jared and Rebecca and four kids, no. Like the distance between horrendous loss and hallelujah was 12 inches. And, and you go, for some of you that you, you can go, yeah, there's things in my life, 12 inches, 12 feet, I don't know, 12 miles, whatever the, whatever, whatever the distance was. It could be 12 seconds. If it would have just been 12 seconds, if there were 12 more minutes, we could, you know, you just go on and on. And it may go, okay, I go here. What is the distance between that and that. What is the distance between the two? What I am suggesting Naomi's story tells us and the whole Bible confirms is that there is no distance between these two. There's no distance between the two. that God's purposes and his plans bring these two things together under his reign and rule. He's over the losses and the hallelujahs. He alone can and does act toward us, always ultimate good and his ultimate glory. I, I wanna be careful and I say this, I, can't, I say this with, I don't know if I'm qualified to say it, but, but I say, I, I, I don't want to back away from what Naomi's teaching us here. And that is, it's not like God allowed it. God 
let that happen. God is behind, God's in control of all of it. His fingerprints on the losses and the hallelujahs. And if we just stop to think about it, I think, even though it's, it creates turmoil in our soul perhaps, would we want it any other way? Would we want to go, well, our losses, the devil got that one, or some impersonal, you know what I'm saying? Would we want it any other way than to say, no, God is in control. And yes, in the proximate, it hurts. But in the ultimate, it's for our good and for his glory. And what we need never forget is that the father's fingerprints on the losses and the obvious are blood-covered fingerprints. God came against his own son with the fullness of his wrath. Jesus drank the bitter cup of God's wrath against sin. Yes, God came against Naomi. Yes, God brought calamity to Naomi. But no one would experience or ever will experience the full calamity and weight of God's againstness like his own son, Jesus. He crushed his own son so that he would never have to crush me and you when we put our trust in Jesus. But instead, he brings us to glory. Jesus gets the crushing and we get the glory. Which is why I'll end here, God's providence only begins, because we'll never fully understand it, but only begins to make sense, I, I believe, at the cross. It's at the cross. And so my invitation to life for us today, I wanna ask you to do this, is would you in these moments bring your losses and your hallelujahs to the cross? I'm gonna invite Carl and the team to come back out. I'm gonna give you a moment to do this. Say, well, Lord, what do you mean bring my losses and hallelujahs to the cross? What I mean is pause right now. and Bring all the losses in your life and bring the hallelujahs and ponder them, ponder them at the price. And trust the Holy Spirit to deepen within you, deepen within me, a profound sense of rest. That there are, and this is a quote from Sproul, there are no maverick molecules in the universe. There's our God who reigns and rules, who knows what's best for us, for our ultimate good and his glory. Would you do that for a moment?
Oh God, this, these are difficult truths to hold. We wrestle mightily with them. We invite your Holy Spirit to open our eyes to see what we can't see and to enable us to hold with a deeper and more abiding faith the mystery of your providence. What is no mystery that you gave your son. And may the clarity of the cross and the gospel of Jesus bring clarity to our lives when we're just not sure what's going on and why and how. We might rest more and more in who you reveal yourself to be. I want you to remain in a posture of prayer as the team sings over us a reminder and a declaration that God is God and we are not. But oh, how precious we are to him. How unfailing his love. How good his hesed. His unceasingness. <laughs>